Oh, happy Father's Day. How's everyone doing? Welcome to Resurrection Church. Hello to everyone who's watching online. Say hi to Tom if he's watching. I had lunch with me the other day. He's so looking forward to coming back with us soon. And uh, he's improving. Um, yeah, so Father's Day. All right. So uh, we're going through Hebrews, aren't we? Are you guys enjoying Hebrews so far? Yeah, I'm enjoying it. It's a great book. So Hebrews chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 10, and I'm not going to promise how far I get, because we're going to dig deep. How many of you guys like digging deep? Yes. That's right. Okay. Four of us. <laughs> the rest of y'all, that's okay. We're talking about Jesus. Jesus is greater than anybody else. He's greater than, and, and here he's talking about greater than the angels. Hebrews chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 9, and then we're going to get possibly to verse 13, okay? Maybe 14. But we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, Jesus. Now beforehand in chapter 1, he has made the, the claim, of course, that Jesus is better than the angels because he's God, right? He is, he is, he is, um, um, he is the creator, and he is, he is without end and everything, and, and the angels are ministering servants, and he's the one who sits at the right hand of the Father, majesty on high, that's God the Son. But now there's a switch here where God the Son then becomes lower than the angels. And even while he's lower than the angels, he'll be greater than the angels. <laughs> I love that, you know? But we do see him who is made a little lower than the angels, or for a little while, for a little while little, the, 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 the term there means a little while longer. Uh, Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, because of his death on the cross, he's exalted and he's crowned with glory and honor. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Let me just say something. I didn't comment on this last time. All of salvation begins and ends with God, and it's all of God's grace. It, is God's, it was God's plan to decide to send Jesus. Even, as Paul says, before, when we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. It was in the plans of God, the grace of God. That's why Paul starts his letters with grace and peace, right? And he ends with grace and peace, because it all starts with God's grace. So at the end of the day, it begins and ends with God, and that God is gracious to do this. And what, what was involved was that his son might taste death for everyone. Now he's going to go in verse 10, and he's going to start scrapping, start explaining the whole thing with Jesus becoming a man, Jesus suffering, what that was all, uh, all entailed. Verse 10. For it was fitting for him. It was as the uh, fitting means it was right. It was the right thing to do. It was fitting for God. It was actually uh, in agreement with God's character for him to do this. this and we'll get there in a second. Uh, for him, that's God, for whom are all things and through whom are all things. God, the source of everything. God, the purpose of all things. God, the goal of everything. God, the Father, who's, it was his plan. By the way, when you are considering God the Father, consider it was God the Father's plan to do this. Jesus says, I only speak the words my Father speaks. I do the words, the actions I see my Father do. 
Some people have a time with have a hard time with God, with a father God because they see somebody like their dad. But Jesus says, "If you've seen me, you've seen the Father." Which means, if you like what Jesus is like, which who doesn't like what Jesus is like, right? God the Father is the same way. He's only emulating what God the Father's like. Oh, okay. It was fitting for him, for God the Father, for whom are all things and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory. In other words, as part of his plan, it was fitting, it was according to God's character. To, it was according to, in agreement with his, his wisdom, in agreement with his, with his, um, his goodness and his ju- uh, righteousness and his love and his grace, in bringing many sons to glory. It's part of the salvation, it was fitting for him to do what? to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. Now this is gonna get, this is gonna get really cool. <laughs> this is gonna be really cool. I'm not laughing out of nervousness, I'm laughing out of joy because what we're gonna see here is what Jesus has to do as part of the plan of God. See, it's not enough. It's not just that Jesus had to die for us, right? We know that he died for us. But if that's all that was, then Jesus could have died as, young, as, a, as a baby, right? He had to be sinless. And if it was all about him dying as a, as a sinless human being, he could have died very young. But he obviously didn't die as an infant. He lived a full life. And part of everything he does is part of God's plan. Everything he does is for a purpose. He goes, he's, he, he teaches us about the kingdom of God, right? So part of it we get is his purpose is not just to die for us, it's also to teach us what God's like, what the kingdom of God is like. It's to, to seek and save that which is lost, amen? And so there's a whole lot more going on than just him dying. That's obviously a big part. Um, And this is part of the gospel. In bringing many sons to glory, that means in leading people to salvation. And what he's going to make the main point in this verse, the point of this verse, is that it was fitting for the Father's plan to redeem humanity through a perfect and suffering Savior. Now I've got to explain what does this mean. He had to perfect the author of their salvation. I don't know about you, I read that, I'm like, whoa, wait, I thought Jesus was perfect, right? Okay. Words have meanings, but words have meanings not by themselves. They have meanings within a context. You guys know this, right? If I say go, if I say the word trunk, what comes to your mind? Trunk of a a car, trunk in my house, trunk of a tree, trunk of an elephant, right? But if I say, "Hey, you know, Joshua, where's he at? Um, Go to my, go to my, my, grab my keys and go to my, get my, go out to my car and get my trunk of my car." So when we look at a word, we have to recognize that it means something within context, not just okay. So we're obviously Jesus is perfect morally and ethically and everything else. He is, he's perfect as the son of God. The, he, uh, the writer of Hebrews also uh, has argued, or is going to argue that in, in Hebrews 4, 
15, he says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things, yet without sin. The, the question I'm going to ask as we go through is really a question, why is Jesus suffering? Because this is part of the thing that he's going to, it's more than him just dying for us, it's also living in such a way for us. And he says, he had to perfect the, the author of their salvation through sufferings. The word perfect is the word teleosai. It means a couple things. One, it means to bring to an end, to bring to its goal, to accomplish. It has the sense of to make complete of its kind without defect or blemish. Um, go to just, uh, you guys like turning pages? Or flipping through your iPads? I like pages. I don't know, I'm old school. I haven't converted to iPad preaching. Pray for me if I ever do. But no, no offense to nobody who does that. I have no, no shame in that. Maybe they use that in heaven. But I like pages. Like look at, look at Hebrews 5, okay? In verse, uh, uh, verse 8 and 9. Well, look at this. So in, in Hebrews 5, verse 9 actually has the same word. It says, <clears throat> verse 8, Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered, having been made what? Perfect. Is it perfect or perfect? <laughs> Have you made perfect, right? He became to all those who obey the source of eternal life. Do you notice there's a parallel structure there between obedience and perfection? And obedience involves what? Activity. So part of Jesus becoming perfect is becoming perfect within his life of living. Does that make sense? Okay, so, so perfect means to achieve a certain goal. Now, the goal of Jesus, of course, is to eventually become our, our high priest. The goal of Jesus is to live a certain way of life, perfect life, to demonstrate certain things to us, to teach us. So part of this perfection is, it's like he's being tested in the sense that he is going to fulfill and accomplish his goal. Does that make sense? Let me explain a little. It doesn't mean that Jesus is flawed and then became unflawed, right? It doesn't mean he was, you know, it doesn't mean he was without sin. It means that he's achieving a high goal. That's what perfect means. It also means perfecting has to do with qualifying Jesus. So if Jesus is going to be our high priest, now high priest did two things. He represented God to man. Right? He administers, this is what God's like. But then he also represented man to God. Jesus is going to do both, right? It means that he was qualifying Jesus to be the leader of our salvation through suffering. Now I'll get to, we're going to, we're going to get a little bit deep here, okay? So follow, are you guys still following? Yes. I don't want to leave the train station too fast. I want to... <laughs> you're like... It means to be perfect means that Jesus fully fitted out, that he stayed on that path of his life. 
it's more than just a, a perfection that is, um, um, that is just in, in, uh, in his character, in his, it's, it's perfection in his performance, it's perfection in his life. It's, he is going to, to go on the path and stay that path and, and fulfill that path that God asked for him. That's part of being perfect, okay? He had to, which, which then brings up the question, why he didn't die as an infant, but he had, to, he had to fully live as a man, sinless, living as God, as God would live, and teaching as God, and on all that, even while facing the temptations and the trials and this, everything as a human being. We'll get to that in a second. So Jesus, it means that he fully fit out, that he stayed on the path that the Father had planned for him. It's like if I'm training for a marathon. I've run marathons before, and I'm, you know. And let's say I've run marathons before, but then I got one coming up, let's say. Even though I'm qualified to, to run the marathon, because I've trained and I'm ready to go, it's not until I finish the marathon do I, do I get the medal and the glass of milk they give you at the end, you know? And <laughs> it's not until I've actually done that course. That's what perfecting means. And Jesus was perfect in his entire life, the way he lived, in unflinching, unflinching submission to the Father, even in the face of great difficulties. Turn to Philippians 2. Very familiar verse, but let's see an illustration is, or an explanation. Uh, Philippians 2, and the whole second chapter is about Jesus, is, you know, his humility and selflessness and giving his life to death. But I want to focus on um, um, verse, verse 8 especially, but let me get verse 5. Go to verse 5, 2, 5. Philippians 2, 5. You there? Have this way of thinking in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although existing in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bond slave, by being made in the likeness of men. This is going to key on to what we're going to talk about in a few verses here. Being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is the idea of perfection, even the sufferings he had to face. And we'll get, we'll get to the sufferings in, in a sense. But when Jesus was obedient as a man to the point of death, that was part of his perfection. Does that make sense? It was the life that was demonstrated. He fulfilled the path of God. He went through all the stages of human life up until his final sacrifice in order to complete that final task that when he is a high priest, which we'll get to in a few verses, I don't know why I'm looking back there as if there's a Bible back there. In a few verses, we'll get to that because he had to do this to become a faithful high priest because he has to live perfect, perfectly in order to, perfectly demonstrate or be in the place of man before God. You see, it would be one thing, it, would, it wouldn't be right if Jesus just kind of showed up on planet Earth, like 30 years old, just kind of showed up, didn't experience life, and then say, hey, I'm your high priest. And people are like, well, I can't relate to that. That's, that's, God, God didn't cut corners in that, is what I'm trying to say. 
So you have a Savior, and the, the, the writer here is going to say, you have a Savior who, who is going to live fully as a man. Now why does Jesus suffer? He suffers as part of his priestly thing, as part of his perfecting process. When he's tempted, that's part of it. He had to live life fully as a man in every single way. That's why he says we do not have a high priest, Hebrews 4.15, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted always without sin. Did I have you go to Hebrews 5 already? Okay. So this is the idea, the perfecting idea is the idea of perfection of function that required the whole process from incarnation to his ministry, his death and resurrection. And it qualified him for priestly service. In fact, you're back in Hebrews, right? Go back to Hebrews. In fact, that word perfect is used in the Old Testament to speak of qualifying or consecrating a priest for service. So it goes hand in hand. So Jesus had to live his life as a human, but then it says he, perf- he was perfected through sufferings. Jesus understands suffering, but it says he was perfect. I'm sorry, go back to verse 10. I'm excited. I'm excited. How could you not be excited when you're studying the Bible? I don't know about you. I mean, come on, that's good stuff, isn't it? It's, amen? And I don't know about you, I love dig, dig, digging in. If you're going to come to church, we're digging in, okay? Is it okay? Yes, it is. All right, watch. To perfect the author of their salvation. I might not get past verse 10. That's okay. We'll be in Hebrews till the Lord comes back. But it's all about Jesus, amen? All right. To perfect the author of their salvation. Now this adds a little bit of something, because this adds a little bit of nuance, because we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll explain this. He is going to, when he became a man, and we, when he is living his life, he is identifying with man. Now that's going to be a key point, is identification with man. Okay? Through sufferings. And as the author of our salvation, what does that word mean, author? In this context, author, it can be translated the pioneer. What does a pioneer do? I guess into the pioneers. You know, nobody. They trailblaze, excuse me. They trailblaze, right? They cut the path. They go out ahead. Jesus, as the pioneer, the, the word here, it means it's our, our archegos. It means the originator, the founder, or the pioneer. It, revolves, it involves somebody that is, in, is leading something that other people are joining in. But as the pioneer or the author, he is the pioneer who goes ahead. Jesus leads us. He doesn't lead us from behind, but from up front. Now get the picture. As he's living his life facing sufferings and temptations and living as a man, he is trailblazing for us the life of godliness. That's why we want to always look at the life of Jesus, right? This word for, uh, for a pioneer, uh, 
It speaks of somebody that involves others, that stands at the head, that, that, that trailblazes for others to follow. He's always in front. And it means he's opening us a path for us to follow. So in the midst of Jesus' sufferings, which we'll see, he's trailblazing how to live life. That's why Jesus says, follow me to his disciples, right? Um, He opens up a path for people to follow. And as the founder, he's our leader. He opens up a path for us to follow in obedience. Look at Hebrews 5. We'll go back to Hebrews 5, right? And we we looked at verse 8. I'm going to look at that again, okay? Look at this. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey the source of eternal life. There's a key between his obedience and our obedience. As he obeys, he demonstrates the path of obedience. We see him, of course, when he's tempted. How he handles that, he turns to the scripture, turns to the Father. We see him even when in times of distress. His, his prayer to the Father in the garden. We see him in times when he's lonely. We see him in, in all the situation he faces, he's demonstrating the path of what we ought to follow in our life. Amen? The pattern. He also demonstrates this path of, of suffering. Look at 1 Peter. Go to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. In verse 21. 1 Peter 2.21 says, For to this you have been called, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you a what? An example that you should follow in his steps. Now that does not always preach well in our time and age, suffering. And, and, and that's part of, the, part of following Jesus is taking up your cross and following him, right? I've, I have that statue in, uh, in my house. It's, it's an olive tree, olive, uh, olive wood. Olive wood. I got it from Israel. And it's just Jesus humbly with his cross. That's the path of Christ. That's the path of, of suffering. That's the path of, that we as Christians are prepared to take. He also gives us the path of trust and faith as well. That's why he says that we are to fix our eyes on Jesus, Hebrews 12.2. Go to Hebrews 12.2 real fast. You guys are already in Peter, so go back a couple pages. It says... And he's talking about running the race and getting rid of the entailments in chapter, verse 1. But verse 2, fixing our eyes in Jesus, the author and what? Perfecter of our faith. Our perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down the right hand. So Jesus is the author of our faith as the trailblazer. So, go back to Hebrews 2. You guys still with me? So God's plan, it was fitting for, for God to perfect his son, the author of our salvation through suffering. Making Jesus complete, 
make him Jesus in his, in his task to use suffering for that. Verse 11. For both he who sanctifies, that's Jesus, and the ones who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Now, what he's going to start doing here is now Jesus as becoming man enters into our world, so to speak, and identifies himself with us in every single way. Okay? This is, this is important. That he, that he be born completely human and yet completely God. Okay? You guys following? And part of the process of sanctify, sanctifying us, where he says, he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified, that's believers who are being sanctified, are all of one. We're all of the same Father. He sanctifies humanity by identifying us, or identifying with sinful man. This is, this is key. Jesus is not a, a savior from a distance. He goes in and completely takes on humanity himself. From his conception, I mean, he's born, he's conceived to a, a, a young lady who is probably in her early teens maybe. She's not married yet. I mean, right off the bat, it's not like he gets any pause or any break. He enters in, bam, you're already in issue. there's already an issue. Your mom, she's pregnant. She's not quite married. She's betrothed, which means that they're kind of engaged, but, it's, but you need a divorce to get out of that engagement, that betrothal. And that was a serious thing. And of course, you know, from the time he's born, there's, there's stuff, right? Herod wants to destroy the babies, you know, and there's, there's all, through his whole life, it's like he's dropped in and he's fully immersed. So Jesus understands, that's why he identifies, when he goes to, here he is at the Jordan River, and there's John the Baptist, and he comes to be baptized by John the Baptist. And John the Baptist says, wait, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? Here, who, was, who else is the line? Sinner, 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 sinner. And he's the one who doesn't need to be baptized because baptism was for repentance of sins, right? But he stands with sinful man as one of them. And what does he tell John? He goes, permitted at this time for it is fitting, same word as Hebrews, that all, that, uh, for righteousness to be, to be fulfilled. Like he doesn't, he doesn't, Kim, he doesn't cheat. He doesn't skimp. And no way in his life can you point and say, well, you didn't experience what we experienced. This is important. This is part of his perfection. That's the savior we have. He identifies man, or identifies with man by becoming man, except for being born with sin. And so, so what he does, he says, he identifies man by calling us brothers. Look at what it says in verse 11. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Okay, you see that? Now, this is going to get good. So, uh, I know I'm not going to finish. I'll get to verse 13, okay? And then I'll stop. Because it's Father's Day. And I want to spend time with my family. And you guys too, right? Watch this. 
For I, for, verse 12, for I recount your name to my brothers in the midst of the assembly, I will sing your praises. I want you to turn to Psalm 22. That's a quote from Psalm 22. We're going to look at this because this is going to bring up, so we've got Jesus as the author of our salvation, as the one who lives as a man, who completes the task, but Psalm 22 is what the writer's quoting here. And whenever you see a quote from like the Old Testament, you want to say, why is he using this quote? And you want to read the whole thing. In this context, we're going to look at Psalm 22 and ask the question, why is he point? Because he's proving his point here, okay? So Psalm 22, by the way, when he says in verse 11 of, of Hebrews uh, uh, 2.11, he's not ashamed to call them brothers. I love what Jesus says after he resurrects and, and the women come and they start clinging to him. And he says, stop clinging to me. Uh, I have not ascended to the Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, right? He starts calling his disciples brethren. He calls us brethren. Something happened after the, the resurrection, after the crucifixion, where now we're brothers with Jesus. But the point, I, I, I'm, I'm getting off track here. Psalm 22, sorry, guys, Psalm 22. I'm excited. Can you tell? I guess that's an answer, no? <laughs> you guys awake? <laughs> Okay, Psalm 22 is a psalm that's one messianic, but it's also a psalm of suffering. The righteous who suffers. The psalm of righteous suffering. I'm going to read it from verse 1, and in verse 22 is where Hebrews... So just stay with me, okay? So this is the righteous man who's suffering. The psalm of righteous suffering is what you can call it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my salvation are the words of my groaning. Oh, oh my God, I call by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I have no rest. Here, he is describing this man who is suffering. He feels overwhelmed. He feels uh, he's calling out to God, but he has no rest. God hasn't answered. Yet you are holy, enthroned, verse 3, upon the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted, and you rescued them. To you they cried out and were granted escape, and you they trusted and were not disappointed. So he's going to go from, I'm having a hard time here, God, but I know you're trustworthy, okay? He's going to go back and forth. He's going to describe real experiences, you know, that a lot of us can relate to. Verse 6, but I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They smack their lip. They wag their tail, saying, commit yourself to Yahweh, to the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him because he delights them. He's being mocked, right? Yet you are he who brought me out of the womb. You made me trust when my, upon my mother's breast. Upon you I was cast from birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. There's this play between the suffering and, uh, that he's going through and his trust with God, right? Tr- and he's being mocked for his trust in God as if to say, don't... Hey, just, you know, if you trust God, just, he, you know, he's not, what's, you know, uh, you commit yourself to the Lord, he'll rescue you, and he's being mocked for that. Verse 11, be not far from me, for distress is near, for there is no one to help. Many bulls have surrounded me, strong bulls of bastion have encircled me. They open wide their mouth at me, as a lion tears and roars. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, and is melted within me. He's actually describing what Jesus experienced on the cross. But now, now let's look at, as, as, he's, as he, as the righteous man, has experienced 
physical pain. He's, explain, he's experiencing affliction of, of psychological nature. He's, uh, 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 he's feeling abandoned. He's feeling rejected. He's feeling ridiculed, right? And physically, my heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My sh- strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaves to my jaws, and you lay me in the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers have encompassed me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. This all speaks of Christ, of course, on the cross. I can count all my bones. They look and they stare at me. They divide my garments among them for my clothing. They cast my love. Jesus experienced this on the, cruci- on the cross, right? As a man. He didn't cheat by having his God side, we'll call it, right? Step in and prevent him from experiencing the real pain of it. He experiences it to its fullest because he has to identify with mankind in order to represent mankind. He has to, he has to um, as one writer put it, um, um, he has to suffer with men in order to suffer for men. Verse 19, But you, O Lord, be not far off. O my strength, hasten to my help. Deliver my soul from the sword, my only life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion, from the horns of the wild oxen, you have answered me. Now stop right here, because it's the next verse where the writer of Hebrews begins is quoting. You guys following so far? He has, he has, he's, he has suffered, right? This righteous man, in this case, of course, Jesus, but David is writing this. He has suffered intensely, physically, emotionally, psychologically. He's crying out and saying, God, you haven't answered me. Where are you? I know you've answered in the past. I know you've been faithful in the past, but I'm experiencing this right now. Where are you? Have you guys ever been there before? You feel alone. You feel overwhelmed. You feel like it's all caving in. Jesus is there experiencing the same thing. Remember, he's the what of our salvation? The author or the pioneer of our salvation. He's walking this path. He is going out in front experiencing this firsthand. And in Jesus' case, he actually does get rejected by God when sin God turns away from him. When sin was laid upon him, God the Father turned his, my God, my God, why are you forsaking me? First verse, that's Jesus on the cross as sin of the world. All of sin of mankind is being placed on him. And God the Father for a time turns his face from him. Let me just stop right here. Some people think that God has gone soft on sin. Like as if it doesn't, you just love everyone, which is true. As if, but, but don't worry about sin. There's that, that's, that's out there, right? If, if God the Father goes soft on sin, he has to apologize for, to Jesus for doing what he did to him. Not even God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, got a pass. I know sin's on you, son, but I still got to turn away. This is significant. That's how serious, this is, this is why Jesus had to do everything he did to represent us as our high priest, as our sacrifice, 
Because God takes sin so seriously that even when his own son was on the cross, he had to turn away from him. Now, whatever Jesus experienced on that time on the cross for those hours was enough to pay for eternity of, of sin of all mankind. Only God, the Son, can handle that. You and I couldn't bear that weight. We can't bear that weight. But praise God, Jesus Christ bore that weight. That's why we don't t- our salvation is purchased with precious blood. It is valuable. And we rejoice and, and we, are, we, we celebrate it. So here the psalmist sees his, I'm crying out, you're not answering me. I know our Father's trusting you. And sometimes the hardest time to trust God is when the pain's the greatest, isn't it? Sometimes the hardest time to say, Lord, I'm going to trust you is when you feel all alone and abandoned, right? Sometimes the hardest time is when you don't feel like it. When, when everything is dark and negative and going against you to say, but I'm going to trust the Lord. But watch this. Verse 22. This is what the writer of Hebrews puts in his thing. I will, I will recount your name to my brothers in the midst of the assembly I will sing your praise or I will recount your name to in the midst of, I will sing your praise look at the very the last phrase right before that on verse 21 what does it say you have answered me we just we just in all this God answers him and what does God do? What does Jesus do? What does the psalmist do? He says, I will recount your name. I will, I will declare your name to my brothers. I will say, he is faithful. He is trustworthy. He came through for me. He hasn't abandoned me. He hasn't changed. Amen? Because God has answered my prayers. I will surely recount your name to my brothers in the midst of the assembly. The word there is ecclesia, which we get the word church from. I will praise you. I will declare your goodness to my brothers, right? What's the writer of Hebrews doing here? He is affirming and teaching us that Jesus, as he identifies with man, as he experiences the sufferings that we, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the sufferings of being becoming imperfect, he is trailblazing as the pioneer of our faith and teaching us what it is to trust God in the midst of the suffering and the faithfulness of God. Amen? Does that make sense? He's living it out. He identifies with the whole, the whole process. That's why he says, I will... I will tell others about you. In the midst of the assembly, uh, I will share your name to my brethren, to my brothers. I'm one of them. These are my brothers, Father God. They're, I'm one of them. Now, we call him Lord still. He calls us brothers. So, <laughs> you know, he's still our Lord. But he calls us brothers, which means there's a family dynamic there, right? That's why he says back in Hebrews 2, verse 11, 
that those who are being sanctified are of one, or some say one father. We're of the same family. But brother Jesus, or Lord Jesus, who purchased that for us, is the reason why we can stand and praise God for that. Amen? In fact, he even says, verse 13, I will put my trust in him. This is from Isaiah chapter 8, verse 17 and 18. And again, uh, behold the children who are with me. The idea is that Jesus identifies with, with us, with man, by suffering the way we suffer and being our trailblazer, our pioneer of faith to teach us that no matter what circumstance we go through, how to handle that by following in faith. He shared in the same things we shared. He ate, he drank, he slept, he sweat, he got tired, he got thirsty, he probably got body aches after a long day working on the, you know, on the, the construction site. He knew what likes to, to experience loss, grief, suffering, anxiety, rejection, ridicule, all that Jesus experienced as a human being. That's why he's worthy to be praised. And that's why that's why we praise him. Amen? Jesus is greater than angels, not just because he's God, a very God, but he's also God in the flesh who lives like a man who now goes before us and suffers for us. And to do that, he has to take on flesh and live entirely. There was a, there was a false teaching uh, that said, well, Jesus had flesh, but he had a divine mind. Well, no. He also has a human mind. He has two natures, right? And we'll get to this next week. He's fully human fully God. And it's called the hypostatic union, how that's joined. And, it's, and some of the false teachings say, well, he was mostly man, or he looked like man, but he was only... No, no. He could not represent us on the cross unless he is 100% man. Now, how that works with him being 100% God, that's in the, in the mind of God. How that, I can't explain the algorithms that happens with that. But I know that he, even when he's facing everything in life, it's reliance on, the God, on God the Father and the Holy Spirit. To represent us. He's the author of our salvation. And he's the one who perfects our faith as we follow him, as we trust in him. So whatever you face, look to Jesus. When you feel alone, Jesus has been there. When you feel disappointed, Jesus has been there. When there's shame and ridicule, Jesus has been Rejection, Jesus has been there. That's why he's able to, to help those who are rejected because he knows the path out of that. That's why he, he knows the path of healing, which we'll get to in the next few verses next week because he's been there. And if he trailblazed his way into there, he's trailblazed his way out of there. That's why any healing that happens has to come from God. Any freedom that happens has to come from God. God has to, has to lead that. 
Well, I'm going to stop here. <laughs> I'm going to stop here. We're going to look at, in the next week, maybe weeks, because there's a lot here, and answer the question, what did his death accomplish? If his life accomplished him being our pioneer and, being, and perfecting our faith, so to speak, right? What did his death accomplish? And I know I, was, I, know I laid it pretty heavy on you guys, but this is, I wanted to go deep into the Scripture and let the Scripture really unfold to us, you know, an understanding. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that your Son, thank you, Lord Jesus, that you so identified with man, that you know what it's like to experience what any human being would experience. And you are our representative, you are our high priest, you're the one who goes before us, and yet at the same time, you're the one who teaches us about, about God the Father and about the life of faith. And Lord, I pray that we would constantly look to you as being our shepherd, as being the one who brings us uh, in sanctification of our faith to become more and more like Christ. Lord, you said that you sanctify yourself, but you also you sanctify your believers, your followers. Lord, thank you that you perfect our faith, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for, for what you did on the cross and what you continue to do in our lives even today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Come on, stand up. Stand up. Um, yeah, God is good. I just was. Uh, you know, it was fitting for him, for God the Father, to do what he did because he loves us. And he understands our, our frailties and our weaknesses. And yet he still purchased salvation for us. Well, I pray you have a, a blessed Sunday, blessed Father's Day, blessed week. Follow Christ. Keep looking to him. Um, when you're discouraged and you don't feel like, you just, you just feel like feeling blah, Say, Lord, I'm just going to trust you. I don't feel like trusting, but I'm just going to trust you. I'm going to make the decision, a decision of my will, that I'm going to trust you despite my, and see what God does. And I pray God's blessing on you. Lord, bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace in Jesus' name. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. We'll see you guys next week. Next Saturday, guys, we got men's at Panera. And next Sunday, uh, after church, we'll have lunch at our place and we'll gather stuff for the blessing bags. If you've never done this, uh, the blessing bags with us, you're in for a treat. It's a wonderful time. So, all right, take care.